morning. <laughs> How are you, Gary? <laughs> well, I'm doing pretty good. The sun is shining and the world is still here, I think. As of this morning, June 24th, we're still here. So yeah, we <laughs> that's, are. Uh, when we're recording. Going through the roof. I mean, what more can we ask? And neither one of us has the virus. Uh, to, that's true. To the best of our knowledge. As, as far as we know, as far as we know, we're good. So uh, things are starting to open up. I think, what is it, Friday, Illinois uh, goes to the next stage of opening. So we'll see what that means for the virus and the economy and everything else. But uh, it's been an interesting month, let alone 2020. That's an understatement. <laughs> I mean, I've been around for 73 of these years, and boy, never seen anything like this. Uh, it's it's crazy. Amazing. Yeah, crazy. And lots of other words we could use, but we won't. Absolutely. Just, uh, <laughs> right. Well, uh, so we're recording this, as I said, June 24th. Uh, this is our end of June investment review and outlook. We just did one end of May. And uh, even in the last month, the markets continued to go up. Um, so we're going to take a look first at just kind of where things are and then uh, go from there. Uh, why, why have things happened the way that they have in the stock market uh, compared to the economy? And then what does it mean going forward? So I'm going to go ahead and share uh, a quick chart here. Um, and I think you see the year-to-date all-market uh, portfolio here. So what we have, uh, just kind of going here at the top, S&P 500, uh, largest 500 companies in the U.S. You've got NASDAQ, which is mostly tech stocks uh, in the U.S. Then we have the Russell 2000, which is small companies. Again, U.S. stocks. Then the next two, uh, the green is developed international stocks. And the pink uh, fuchsia color is emerging market stocks. So, so far this year, uh, you can kind of see everything dropped, as we've talked about many times, and, and most people know, back in March. And then uh, you've had a nice recovery from the bottom for most of these. The NASDAQ is up 13% almost on the year, setting all-time highs. Um, S&P is mostly returned back to where it was. Uh, but with that, you still have the small cap, the um, international and emerging market stocks are all there, uh, not quite back to where they were even in the beginning of the year, let alone the tops where they hit. So do you have any thoughts or, or comments on this? Well, it's, I think the biggest thing, what, what I will do is talk about this amazing recovery that, that we have had since the low point at uh, uh, March 23rd. And there are several different reasons for this, but the biggest single reason is the actions that our Federal Reserve has, has taken. Because literally the day after the low point on March 23rd, the Federal Reserve announced that it was going to flood the economy, in effect, with about $3 trillion of cash. That's trillion with a T. Federal Reserve has never done anything like that in the past. They didn't do it in 2000. They didn't do it in 2008, although they put hundreds of billions out in 2008 and 09. But we put out uh, about $3 trillion, 
and they're talking about putting out more. I think there will be another uh, package that will be put together will be, that will be in the trillions in probably in July. But what the Federal Reserve has done, it's done two things. One of them is a big chunk of that $3 trillion has gone into bank reserves. And what companies have gone out and done is they've gone on a borrowing bench. Uh, they've been on a borrowing bench for several years, but as soon as the banks uh, had their reserves uh, increased by certainly well over a trillion dollars, uh, they have borrowed a, a lot more. And included in those banks, it's not the traditional ones that you think of as Chase and Bank of America and so on, but after the crisis of 08, Merrill Lynch, Morgan Stanley, Goldman Sachs, on and on, became banks. So they have gotten a very nice chunk of those trillions of dollars that the Federal Reserve has put into the banking systems. And what have they done? One of the things they're doing is investing it, and that is certainly helping uh, the stock market uh, a whole lot. Mm -hmm. The second thing that the Federal Reserve has done with over a trillion dollars uh, of that money is they're using it to buy bonds. They started out buying only treasury bonds. They've done that before uh, in large quantity, but they've stepped that up. But now what they're doing is they're also buying corporate bonds. And this is investment grade corporate bonds, although they've made that clear that it's in only investment grade bonds that were investment grade as of a specific date, which I don't remember right off hand. But if a company got downgraded and became a junk bond after that date, they're still buying it. And so that is huge support for the bond market. And uh, the stock market really. Uh, has gone from where we've seen people felt everything was perfect and flawless up until you know February, and then everybody over a few weeks said everything is hopeless, and we saw the incredible uh, drop in the market, including a three three thousand point drop on March twenty third, and then people came back and started to look pretty quickly. Well, it, the 24th is when the Fed did its three tri excuse me, $3 trillion uh, uh, injection into the economy. And everybody said, well, the Fed is guaranteeing everything. Mm -hmm. I need to get back in. And why should I not be back in the market since they probably had more cash than they had before? And then you went to the next part of good old FOMO, fear of missing out. And so people piled back into the, the market. We had retail investors. Maybe some of you have heard about uh, uh, an account mechanism called Robinhood, which has attracted uh, tens of thousands of retail investors which as far as I can tell, most of them, it's the first time they've ever invested. Mm -hmm. And what are they investing in? The riskiest uh, types of stock, high-tech stocks, biotech, and so on, uh, many of which don't even make money. They've never made money. 
but they're the hot stocks. And so you have the retail investor uh, piling into that, not really understanding uh, the risks that, uh, that, that, they're, that they're getting into. Well, Gary, before I, I go on, I just have to say I'm, I'm impressed you, you know what FOMO stands for and uh, what Robinhood <laughs> is, so that's great. Well, I may be old, but gee, I even have a Twitter account. I know, it's crazy. Is that, is that amazing? <laughs> it's great. And I know how to use Zoom. I, that's true. That's true. So that's great. Um, so I, I think that's really good. And obviously, I mean, with the the Fed, it's so easy to look back and say, oh, well, then this is so obvious. Of course, the market was going to go up when the Fed stepped in. There's not anybody who um, called the bottom and said, oh, March 23rd is the bottom and everything is going to go up and we're going to have the recovery that we've seen so far. Um, there's a lot of people today that say, oh, it's obvious when you look back hindsight 2020, but uh, that's how it always works. Um, I think it's very similar, and, and we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about tech stocks, but I wanted you to share uh, a story you shared with me uh, actually yesterday just about um, <laughs> this whole concept of everything looks great until it doesn't and uh, bubbles in the, the late 90s and some things you experienced before. Yeah, back in 98 and 99, uh, the S&P 500, led by internet stocks, was practically, well, it was, it's not right to call it straight up, but it was really the one part of the stock market that just boomed. And during that time period, everything else in the market, whether small cap, value, international, and so on lagged seriously behind the S&P and within the S&P, again, it was the, the internet stocks. And back in those days, of course, my mantra has always been diversification, diversification, diversification. But I started to get calls from clients saying, gee, Gary, you know, we're lagging the overall market with our portfolio. I'm not really happy about that. Uh, thank God this wasn't most clients, but there were clients that uh, were concerned. Uh, their brother-in-laws were all telling them about how great that they were doing. Um, and I told them why diversification, it works whether you want it to or not. Mm -hmm. And at that time, some people didn't want diversification. But then 2000 came along. And 2001, 2002, and 2003. And those high-flying stocks, the uh, Oracles and Cisco's and so on, which were great companies, they were supplying equipment and software that was the backbone of the internet that was growing like crazy. And these companies, um, Ben, you can help me refresh my memory, but uh, we talked yesterday, Oracle at one time, was what up 120, 130 times earnings? Oh yeah, it was. It, I, I think it was 140 was the peak um, for for that one, and and all of them, you know, they're <laughs> they're trading at such high valuations compared yeah. to. Well, and back then, those companies, the story was they are fabulous companies. They're going to continue to be fabulous forever. Right. There's going to be no change in that. The internet can't operate without them. 
But guess what happened? We, the bear market came along and Oracle went down, what, 80%, 85%, something like that. Uh, Cisco went down somewhere uh, in that area. Mm-hmm. And what, it took them, uh, 15 what, years. Or- 15 just to get back to where they were. 15 yeah. years. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Were they great investments from 2000? up until now the fact is and they're still good companies right they exist they're very good companies they they continue to grow nothing like the way that they did in the 90s but they've been terrible investments uh since 2000 and the reason that we bring that up is right now the great companies amazon microsoft apple Netflix uh, and Facebook. Google and so on. Right now, everybody's belief is that those companies are great companies. They are great companies. They're going to stay great companies forever and they're going to do nothing but go up, outperform the market forever. I'm sorry, that's <laughs> not going to happen. Right. Yeah, not, not at all. So uh, we talked about this before and, and just to put some more numbers around it. Uh, you mentioned Oracle's price earnings uh, ratio. Uh, Amazon, as I look at it right now, is trading at 132 times earnings. Now that doesn't mean it's gonna go down uh, significantly, but um, you're already trading with this great expectation of continued growth to happen there. And that's what happens in, with tech stocks in general. You're, you're betting on future growth to be really great. Yeah, and it's growth forever. Well, of course. (laughs) Growth for the next couple of years or even five years at those sorts of valuations. Right. You're saying growth is going to be great and it's going to lead the market forever and it's just not going to happen. Right. One of the things that has happened with the market now, and it was the same way back in 98 and 99, People forget about that valuations are important. Price earnings ratios, price to book, uh, cash flow yields, and so on. Ben and I believe in that very strongly. And historically, over markets, that has been the primary determinant of long-term growth of companies. Valuations meant nothing in 1998 and 99. Valuations today mean virtually nothing. What's hot, what's popular, that's not gonna last forever. Yeah, so to put some more um, behind that, so the big five, currently the the five biggest uh, in the S&P 500, which also happen to be the five biggest in NASDAQ, which we looked at those numbers there, but the five biggest are um, Amazon, Microsoft, Facebook, Apple, and Google are your top five. Um, they now make up 22% of the S&P 500. There's 500 companies in the S&P 500, technically 505, but we'll, we'll put those five away. Uh, there's 500 companies there, and uh, it, those top five make up um, the same market cap as the bottom 359 companies do in that same index. And these are all large companies, uh, let alone, you know, small caps and all that. And they're all, also the top five is as the same size when you add it up as the, the next 
24 companies in the S&P 500. So with all of that, the leaders, the biggest companies are all those tech stocks, all the ones that remind you a lot of the companies that uh, lost a lot of money in the tech bubble. And uh, they have been driving the NASDAQ especially, but even the S&P 500 to really go up. I wanted to share a chart that um, highlights this just again, year to date. I think year to date is uh, where a lot of people start. So we'll look at that now. I think you're seeing this, this just shows the same 500 companies, S&P 500. The orange line is the normal S&P 500. We looked at this um, and this is a, a couple days old now, but if you look at the purple, the purple line is saying instead of the current market cap weight, which means the largest companies make up a larger percentage of the S&P 500 as the smaller companies, the market cap or equal weight, sorry, says um, on the purple line, what if you just hold all 500 companies equal weighted? Well, when you have this sort of disparity, 6% uh, difference, and these are all large companies, 6% difference down 4% versus down 10%, what that's telling you is the larger names in the S&P 500 are leading the charge and doing better than the smaller names. Uh, we also see that when you look at the overall market, you think back to that previous chart that we looked at, that showed that the Russell 2000, which is small companies in the US, has underperformed both the NASDAQ and the S&P. So you've seen this great growth um, and that's continued to happen. And, and it, it gets even more pronounced when we look uh, longer term. So let me pull up uh, another chart for us. Uh, this is gonna be a five year and then we'll, we'll look at 10 year. Just again, highlighting how crazy <laughs> it's been and how similar it is honestly to the late 90s. So here, same five indices we looked at before. This is showing the last five years total return. If you just invested in those high flying tech stocks, you would have done really well up 94%. But uh, we have a diversified portfolio as you've talked about why we need to do that. And we'll continue to talk about that. But um, as you go down the list, if I just compare international stocks, both the emerging markets and developed international compared to the NASDAQ, you can see that those high-flying stocks have just continued to do really, really well and push the market up. Um, and just to do one last share here, and again, you're, it's, it's the same chart, <laughs> same order really uh, for the most part. And for the last decade, um, the tech stop stocks have done really, really well when everything else has been a little bit worse. <laughs> and Ben, I will just add to that of those NASDAQ stocks, 42% of those stocks are losing money. <laughs> and a large portion of that 42% has never made money as long as they've been in business and what drives that Again, it's many tech stocks now, it's a lot of biotech stocks in which people are believing that they have the next great drug, they have the next, you know, the, the coronavirus vaccine or things like that. And they become very speculative and it has nothing to do with valuations at all. And making a major part of our clients' portfolios into companies that aren't making money, 
most of which have never made money, is not what our investment philosophy is about, even if in the recent history, that's been the place to be. Mm -hmm. uh, but that's just not going to go on forever. Mm -hmm. So I want to touch on something you just said there, which is, um, you know, just because the last 10 years or five years or whatever the time period is, they've done really well. It doesn't mean they'll continue. I can, I can go through and find decades for every single one of these indices that they did the best compared to all the other ones. Um, it's really easy <laughs> to look historically and say, well, during this time period, this did really well, this time period, this one did really well. And we never know um, in advance, which one's going to do really, really well, or which one's going to be the worst, which is why we diversify into all of them. And you've said diversification forever. Yeah. And Ben, the other thing is, Illuminate's clients own a little bit of these high flyers. Right. There was certainly one of the funds and probably more than one own a small amount of Apple and uh, Amazon and so on. But so we aren't saying that nobody should own them at all. Right. But our concern is that people get carried away with the nice story. And this, you know, this isn't the first time that this has happened. You know, in 08 and 09, it was banks. It was real estate. In 2000, 2003, well, it was the, you know, the internet companies. Um, I'm so old that I can go back to the 1970s. And back then it was called the Nifty 50. Uh, and those were stocks that you could buy and put them away forever. And you never Supposedly. had to <laughs> Yeah. Well, that's what the mantra was. Right. And those stocks were just like these today, it's way outperforming. But, uh, you know, some names like Avon is Avon an outperformer today, but it was a part of the Nifty 50, General Electric. Um, oh, boy, some other, many Kodak. other. Kodak. What was that? Yeah. Kodak. Oh, yeah, Eastman, Kodak, Polaroid. Polaroid, buy it in 1975, put it away forever. Um, it doesn't exist anymore. It's long since been out of business. But, mm -hmm. I, you know, I, we don't want to overemphasize this, but at the same time, right now, the euphoria with people where valuation means nothing, it's only what your brother-in-law is bragging about what he bought and has made so much money don't get carried away with that euphoria because it will end. And we are not trying to predict that Amazon and Apple are going to go down by 80%. But we are absolutely trying to say that the euphoria over a small group of stocks is not going to keep going the way it is forever. It just isn't going to happen. And diversification works whether you want it to or not and right now a lot of people don't want it to work because they only want to be in you know the top five or six stocks absolutely so one one thing to keep in perspective and we talk about all, 
this to all of our clients that we're doing the financial planning for is what are you investing for? So uh, it's really easy to get caught up in, oh, if only I had invested in Amazon in 1999 <laughs> or whatever, and I've seen that before. And if you just put all your money in there, well, that's great. Uh, what if you invested in pets.com instead? that uh, went out of business nine months after IPO. But with, with that, um, it's all about perspective of what's the point. The point of the investing for our clients is not to make so much money that they can go buy a bunch of yachts and waste it all. Um, our clients have concrete goals that they want to save for. They've worked hard. They're, can, they're being prudent with their money and they want to invest and get what they earn and deserve and should get some returns to help reach their goals, but not to hit a home run every single time they go out there and uh, try to make thousands of percent of return. Uh, that would be nice, but it'd also be nice to win the lottery. So, so with that, uh, that's not an investment strategy. That yeah. is a shot in the dark trying to speculate. And uh, at the end of the day, not invest, but, but gamble uh, with the money. Yeah, just briefly, Ben, what I will also say is at every point during my career, when I experienced uh, the bear markets, I had prospective clients that came in and had, had devastating losses in their portfolio, and they came to me because either they were trying to do it yourself and they found out that they, they were doing great in the bull market, but not so good in the bear market, or they had an advisor that had them way overweighted in those hot stocks. Mm -hmm. And then the market crashed and their portfolio crashed. And there were some sad situations that, that I saw and it's happened every single time when we had a bear market 87 uh the the, the uh, again 2000 2008 and so on and you just see what happens with people that rode the great up thing but then when it went down they got crushed and their long-term financial plans got crushed and i will tell you i had to tell some people that I can't help you that much because your objective is to get back to where you were before. And literally I'd seen people that their portfolio was down 80% and I oh. couldn't promise them. I couldn't tell them at all that I was going to get all of that back. It's, you know, a lot of that was permanent loss of capital. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's sad. And so, um, kind of speaking of some, some other things, I've had clients ask questions recently. Um, why is it that the stock market is doing so well when the economy is not? You've got um, really, really high unemployment and even the official numbers probably understate uh, from everything that I'm reading and seeing. They understate the true impact. You have a situation where um, you've had all the stimulus money pumped in from the to help out consumers, which in the short term has helped out, uh, and you've ha actually had a higher savings rate in a personal savings rate in April and May 
than you had any time before, but it's all because of the government stimulus that was put out there. But that doesn't solve any problem. You still have a, now an increase on in this first wave of cases that we never got out of the first wave of coronavirus and not every place is open yet. So I could come up with all sorts of reasons why the market should be down and shouldn't have recovered. And that's a fair question. Why? Why has the market gone up and, and what does that mean going forward if the market's up and the economy seems to not matter? Well, again, I'll go back to what we said earlier that now valuations just don't matter. People don't care about that. But really, the base part of this is it's back to what the Federal Reserve mm -hmm. has done. That liquidity, it's we've had the biggest injection of liquidity into financial markets than we've had in history. We've never seen anything like this. We thought we'd seen the most, and we had seen the most in 08 and 09. Well, the Fed has put 08 and 09 into the minor leagues uh, here of injection of liquidity, and it's going into uh, investment securities for. A large part. I mean, it's a shame where we're still seeing people here, unemployed people in food lines, while the stock market is, you know, is is going crazy, and people are pretty much overlooking any of the possible negatives uh, out there. The economy is recovering, which is great. We are very happy for that. But is it going to come back by the end of the year? to where it was before the virus. And I just don't think it, it's gonna happen. We're worried about a second wave. Well, the first wave isn't even over yet. I mean, you know, Texas, North Carolina, Florida are having some pretty significant increases in cases now. And so I don't think the economy is gonna come back to where it was before this. Everybody's excited about a vaccine. I'm excited about a potential vaccine, but there's never been a vaccine against the coronavirus. Um, and the shortest time period where they've gotten any vaccine against a virus is four years. Uh, from things that I'm reading now, I think the answer is going to be sort of a drug cocktail, like has happened with the HIV virus. They've never gotten a vaccine for HIV but they found that combining a number of different drugs together uh, extends uh, a person's life expectancy, maybe to full life expectancy. That could happen with this, but that's just not going to happen this year. Mm -hmm. How long is it going to take? I, you know, I don't know. And, and I think we're not trying to be overly negative here because there are good things. The economy is uh, reopening here in Illinois. Of course, we just reopened the, this week, not completely, but uh, a lot. The economy is starting to come back, but the stock market right now, all we're really trying to say is it's basically completely discounting any of the potential bad news uh, or even moderate news. It's the stock market is saying full speed ahead. It's all great. Yeah, and and you could uh, you could continue to see that for a couple more years, honestly. If if the economy comes back a little bit, and you know the Fed continues to pump money in, whether it's needed or not, you could continue to see 
that uh, things happened. But as you said, Carrie, you could see the opposite. You could see that uh, the market comes back to where the economy is overall, that uh, they, they go back to where valuations actually matter and our companies actually making money. Um, you know, crazy that, that that doesn't matter right now. But anything could happen. We don't have a crystal ball. Um, we don't think anyone does. <laughs> so with that, we want to maintain being diversified. One thing I want to add as well to what you said about the Fed, because that is the biggest driver. Another thing to remind people, and, and this is this is not a political statement at all, but Wall Street and Main Street are not the same thing in that um, Wall Street has, depending on your number, you know, 6,000 publicly traded companies. Um, you have something in the neighborhood of 6 million private companies that employ um, at least one person and another 17 million of sole proprietors. So there's a big difference <laughs> between the number of publicly traded companies that are all a lot of them are larger, of course, than these small companies. But when you have that many small businesses that could be impacted, maybe shut their doors and never reopened, um, that shows up in the economic data. It doesn't show up necessarily in the stock market and where the valuations are. So you, you put that, you, you add the Fed on top of it, which is obviously driving up the asset prices and, and asset inflation, as we talked about last time. Um, for now, that's where you've seen inflation whether it's three years from now, five years from now, 20 years from now, at some point we do believe that we'll, there'll be inflation overall <laughs> and that that's something we want to hedge as well. And we talked about that a little bit last time. Um, is there anything else you want to add on, on that? Not really that I think of. We've, I think, covered the, the whole ball yard here. And baseball is coming back, Ben. That's right. It's <laughs> about right. time. You know, we got to have some good news here. And on my end, I'm jumping up and down and cheering because I'm looking forward to beating you and our fantasy leagues again. <laughs> so, uh -huh. yeah, that is really good news. No comment. No comment on that one. So, um, so with that, you know, kind of <laughs> to the to the investing, uh, we'll stay away from the baseball for a second. Uh, what what we're doing, uh, just to kind of wrap this up, what we're doing is saying it's great that we've had nice returns from the bottom. We're rebalancing, buy low, sell high. Um, that means that <laughs> at some point we're going to buy more of the things that have underperformed up to up to now and for a while we're rebalancing we we'll rebalance we'll continue to be diversified which means we don't put all of our eggs in any of those baskets we own them all we own all those we own gold we own uh fixed income uh we own international emerging markets and we own small cap and value and large cap and growth and everything in between we own the whole basket which means we're always going to own some of the winners and we're always going to own some of the losers. But at the end of the day, we have a diversified portfolio um, that's invested for the long run, not for the next month or year or five years. Even uh, we want to invest for a lifetime for clients. So um, you've talked about diverse diversification forever, forever. Um, anything else you want to add? Yeah, I guess the last thing very quickly, the way that we're doing this and what Ben said is that we are also the biggest thing that, that we do for, for our clients is managing risk. We are not attempting to get the highest market returns uh, at any point in time. 
we add tremendous value with managing risk for you. And diversification is one of the biggest single things that we have to manage risk for you. Always means we're not gonna be at the top when you know the Amazons and Apples are leading, but it also means that your portfolios aren't gonna drop by 80% when we have bear markets because we've been managing the volatility and the risk in the portfolios. And that quite frankly is every bit as important as the risk that we, is, excuse me, as the return that we help you get in client portfolios. That's great. Better than I could have said. So uh, on that note, well, We'll end here. Uh, definitely, if you've got questions, you know how to contact us, email, call. Um, and uh, if there's more things you want us to cover next time, let us know. We'll do this again in July. So thanks. Thanks for listening. Thanks, Gary. Bye. Thank you.